Right, hello and welcome to the second episode of the podcast. Before I carry on introducing my guest, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode. I've had some really nice feedback and equally some really helpful constructive criticism, so I'll take those on board. My next guest is Claire Peer. Claire Peer is the movement analyst. Um, I'm going to let her explain what that is and what that means in this interview. So without much further ado and waffle from me, let's get on with it. Right now, so I'm joined by Claire Peer. Hello, Claire. How are you doing? Hi, Mark. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, it's a bit wet here in Poole at the moment, but apart from the weather, it's all good. Now, Claire, you volunteered yourself as a guest on this podcast, which I'm really excited about. And I've got to be honest, uh, when I read your website, I just thought, wow, this is really interesting. So I'm so glad you came forward. And I think the work you do is just absolutely intriguing. And it breaks a lot of the paradigms around, I think, physical and mental health from reading what you've written. So I'm really keen to explore the work you do. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, certainly. So um, yeah, I um, I work as a, a movement analyst now and it's taken me quite a long journey to get to the point where I feel I can really embody and, and define um, that that kind of, I suppose, that that title but it's it's working with movement as a medium for the kind of wholeness or the fullness of personal expression both from the the kind of body point of view so you know in a way what are good body mechanics what's the natural design of our body how does nature intend us to inhabit ourselves and to breathe and move and um, and to thrive in a physical body but of course um as you know, uh, the mind and the body are, are not separate in any way. So we can actually um, go into the body and use movement as a medium to access aspects of our psyche and our, um, our psychology, our mood, emotional range. So really, it's a very holistic approach to our body as a, as a vehicle to, I suppose, in a way, what I do if I really distill it down, is I invite people just to withdraw a little bit from the outside world for a while, to go into the body and to re-enter back into the world with a greater sense of kind of embodiment, cellular embodiment really. Maybe that's not a very straightforward answer and it's a question sometimes when somebody asks me, what do you do for a job? It's one of those, oh, what? you know what really is it and it, it's mm. it's not been an easy thing to define but it's yeah that, that's that's roughly what I do yeah so I I totally understand I think when you you come at something with a new perspective you're a bit of an outs, outlier to an industry mm. or a business or a philosophy so it's always hard to get that across to someone else so that's why I'm really keen to sort of really explore this a bit deeper with you um so how did you come to where you are now then? What was the process? Um, well, in one way or another, I've always been um, dedicated to physical training of one kind or another. And I've had formal training in that from a, a very young age. So I started at about the age of four training as a, a gymnast and 
really dedicated the first part of my life to that sport became an, uh, an elite um, international gymnast and trampolinist actually I had a second career as a trampolinist after I completed my gymnastics um, but then as part and parcel of that I went on to actually coach gymnastics and I think that's really where the the, the strong foundations for the language and the understanding of movement um, have really come from because that sport has happens to have a lot of the key ingredients the aspects it's a very well-rounded sport um, but it also involves us overcoming fear and um, because gymnastics and those kinds of sports come with their risks and hopefully they're minimized with good technique and good training and good development but actually you're always living in one way or another with this reality that what you're doing you could injure yourself or hurt yourself um, and it also led me to be very definitive and clear with the language around movement, both as the athlete on the athlete side of the fence, but also when I was coaching others, because we're often looking for very, very small adjustments in the sensory awareness of ourselves or another. And so we have to use language that's very clear and articulates or inspires another to make perhaps these subtle adjustments, which can lead to quite, you know, big changes. So I, I came through that in my formative years. I then went on to study sports. So I've got a, a BSc honours in sports science with psychology. I sort of married my two early passions together. I've always been very interested in human nature and what makes people tick. And, you know, anyone who's coached athletes at any um, level, high level at all, which I was lucky enough to do, you realize that a lot of the training is around the psychology and, and how can we help um, you know another person to get the best resources from themselves and it's not always about the body it, often it's about the you know the, the mindset and the approach and how we handle the the mental health of people doing sport at that level so then I, I went on to work as a strength and conditioning coach when I had my own children I sort of took a step back from the very very full-on career of taking responsibility entirely for elite athletes and I kind of took a little bit of a background step, although very um, important step to work behind the scenes with athletes who needed to improve their physical capacity or who were injured and rehabilitating. And of course, again, you come up against this, this space where, you know, you, you've got a lot of the psychological and the emotional aspects to athletes rehabilitating. It's, uh, you know, it's 99% um, really with the mind, um, mm. you know, often. So this kind of, again, this common theme of how can I help another person uh, access the resources within themselves and maximize that? So in one way or another, I've always kind of either done that with myself or been involved in facilitating that in others to, to help people reach into themselves and draw out resources that are, that are there. Um, and along with that, I trained to be uh, a Pilates teacher um, because Pilates gave me, again, another lens to look through, another way of accessing the body and um, gave me very kind of good grounding and formal training 
And I then went on to work in other um, and train in other aspects of movement, neurological repatterning work, movement intelligence, bones for life, Garuda Pilates, lots of other kind of flavors. Um, I, I also trained um, in kinesiology as well to get a better understanding of um, the energetic aspect to the body and also Reiki. I've um, I'm, I'm, I've gone through the Yusui system and I'm a Reiki master. So again, that kind of energetic spiritual side of things has always been uh, very important to me. So it's, it's kind of been an accumulation of lots of small experiences, big experiences. And, and here I am. <laughs> cool. Wow. And is this something that has changed your life personally? Most definitely. I feel as though my life is a live expression of the work that I do really. And I am that, you know, that is who I am and what I am. And, you know, I often say to my clients, if you're not in your body, then where are you? You know? Mm. So when I'm, I get up in the morning, I, 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 I live my life within my body in the sensory experience of that. And there is a, there is a desire to live, a high quality experience in my physical body. That doesn't mean it doesn't come with limitations and I don't get ill or whatever, you know, like everybody else does, but there is a, there is a, a physical intelligence that is um, refined within myself because it's what I've dedicated my life. Naturally, I've, I've had a desire to do it, but I've also trained. So there's a sensitivity there and I've cultivated that. So yeah. I live what I, I live what I teach most definitely. And when you say sort of being in the body, what do you mean by that? So I think when we get into the realms of the body in a similar way, maybe when we get into the realms of the mind, we need to have language that points to the experiences that we, that we might come across. And I think the, the big thing with being in the body is having language to describe that. So our body does communicate with us all the time and it does that in a very consistent and specific way. It uses the language of physical sensation feedback. So we know when we're in discomfort, we know when we're too hot or we're too cold or we feel dehydrated or, you know, all of these sensations that are there in the body. Um, in one way or another, there's a moment by moment expression of that and you know that is that's how we can get into the body is starting to become more aware and it's it's describing those experiences with language that I think really brings us into a place where we can we can make sense of that so otherwise the experiences are there, but they may go unnoticed in a sense. Mm. We don't register them maybe in the, in the kind of nervous system. Yeah. So what do you think are sort of the main barriers to people um, when it comes to sort of, I guess would being embodied would be, that be the correct expression? I think there are a few factors um, and some of them self-generated, but some of them I think are, uh, uh, because of the, the the time we're living in so we live in a very virtual world now you know and there's there's really overwhelming um support and help from technology which enables us to actually live pretty much in an energetic and a virtual way 
uh, with very minimal physical kind of interaction with life. You know, and even labor saving devices, if we think of generations gone before, you know, things we, we get in the car, we hop in the you know, we hop in the car, we've got a hoover, a washing machine, all these kind of physical tasks that, you know, a couple of generations before would have would have been much more labor intensive, the, the way we lived. We're able to interact less and less really with life, interface less and less with life through our physical body. So I think the technological world is very absorbing and we can get lost in it. And often it's only when our body starts to speak quite loudly that we might be brought back into that physical sensation so you know and it makes it sound in a way that I'm anti um, technology and I'm not at all but it, it's like all these things it's the quality with which we use it mm. and and what is the impact of that so I think that's one thing but there are also many other reasons you know fear is a big thing uh, for around regarding the body overwhelm not knowing quite where to start and and often people maybe don't know what to do for the best as well you know if if particularly if the body is not particularly comfortable or do I move will that make it worse do I not move how do I what do I do you know and often people have very good intentions and want to look after themselves but actually they're not quite sure how to go about that and I think that's where this kind of work can really support people just to make a start and to get to a place where actually being in the body feels really good and actually quite intriguing and uplifting even um, for many people so yeah there you know there are probably other reasons but that you know there are a couple that I can think of that are very common that I come across a lot and with regards to sort of modern society I think you touched upon something interesting there that we have given all the physical work out to labor-saving devices um, so we mm. don't have to move in our bodies as much and then we then have to go to the gym to do the exercises that we no longer do because of recognition. so in fact we actually haven't really saved ourselves much time uh, in the long run uh, yep. just sort of going into the emotion and the body how connect how connected do you feel the body is to emotion a really good question and um, I always come back to this idea that the body is like a barometer in the sense that it's recording the emotional expression so our our body will res will respond to the thoughts and behaviors that we repeat the most often generally so that mm. the body over a lifetime becomes the physical expression it shapes itself the movement patterns and habits will will kind of match what we perceive and what we feel and what we think the most often but it's it's recording it's a barometer and the body responds as though everything we think is happening now and it's real so if you have mm. your mind is on overdrive and you have lots of worrisome thoughts you know your body can't differentiate the nervous system in that way can't differentiate between what is imagined uh, anxiety or neurosis or fear and what is actually happening so it's it's really like a barometer it's reading the the emotional range like changing weather 
you know so it's 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 seamlessly connected or interwoven there there is no real separation although we like to say mind and body mm. it, it, it we could almost use one word in a sense to and i don't know what that word is i've never come across it but that really points to it more uh, accurately with the work you do is a sort of mental relaxation key as well as the physical exercises Yes, most definitely. Um, You know, particularly when we're looking at developing physical intelligence. And I think this is something that in kind of modern day society, we don't necessarily value um, something like physical intelligence, perhaps as commonly as we do maybe academic intelligence or or whatever Mm. but it's it's a real form of intelligence that exists it can be cultivated and developed Um, we tend to see it a lot in people who are maybe in sport or dance or or playing an instrument really well you know we can recognize it also in the animal world as well you know when you see a beautiful I don't know um, horse show jumping or whatever you know it's there we can recognize it it's universal but yeah, it's when we think of developing physical intelligence, we we optimize our capacity to do that when we are in a in a kind of a relaxed state. So, you know, it's very difficult to take on new learning as as you know when we are very fearful or anxious. So in order to kind of optimize another person's ability to feel and sense and learn that that's very much at the center of it so what environment do we provide how can we you know create an environment that feels safe to explore um, that very much rules out the culture of right and wrong because these Mm. are the other things that really inhibit learning and to bring play um, playful exploration really to the center of everything because when people are willing to relax into this idea of playing rather than learning something particular or you know setting out to gain something particular actually all sorts of learning goes on and it's a really rich landscape i think that speaks to me when you say that about the language of change because we often talk about things in quite scary phrases like we've got to leave the comfort zone we have to face the fear you know all these things of course that language is going to evoke a response of fear because it sounds like something we're going to be doing is going to be difficult or humiliating Mm. or physically painful Um, Mm. whereas what I'm hearing at the moment is with the play and the curiosity it kind of just lowers the general anxiety around the whole Mm. the way the whole thing is framed For sure. You know, we've got hurdles to overcome whenever we think about fitness or, you know, I always say to my clients, I never set out to and I, I, you know, I I invite them not to set, not don't make your goal getting fit or losing weight or those common things that we you know because often people are motivated to come into movement of whatever that might be it could be any physical activity but often it's either because they feel they've let themselves go and they feel a bit ashamed of themselves or somebody else has said you need to do something or a doctor or you know or you know we we've got a lot of influences from society around the way we um are is desirable to look you Mm. know um aging vanity all of these things are in the mix there um but also 
people will often come into exercise almost as a form of punishment, you know? Um, so the no pain, no gain pushing on and, you know, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with motivating and inspiring people to want to move their body. But, you know, ultimately what we see in the exercise world an awful lot is people set out with really high motivation and, and great intentions, but the sustainability over a lifetime actually tends to then dwindle. And really, as far as I can see, the ideal scenario is that we, we match really what nature intended for us, which is as for us, we have a versatile body. The body knows the environment it, it, it resides in and that's another key aspect really that I that I teach but you know moving a little bit and regularly over a lifetime you know just that that kind of it's like putting pennies in a penny jar you know at the end of a decade you've really accumulated a lot of wealth mm. but you haven't kind of um depleted your resources or done the whole boom or bust thing it's just this consistency and when movement feels good people spontaneously have the desire to want to repeat that and they want to do it it doesn't take willpower um it, it's just this feeling that the body's kind of knows it feels better and um and that's something it's an it's a, a form of organic learning um and it's a, a very natural response it doesn't willpower doesn't really need to kind of be an aspect to that because it what feels good we just want to do more of it you know we all we all know that we're wired that way yeah i think that's absolutely true i mean uh, i think people always are looking for this sort of constant motivation to do mm. things uh, and often even i'll get calls from people looking for motivation and actually it's it's actually those very small changes that form habits, um, positive habits, you know, the 1% improvement, even 1% a week will have a massive impact over the course of even a decade yeah. rather than this, as you mentioned, that boom bust cycle, which I think we see a lot of um, certainly in the work I do that you see someone do really, really well for maybe three months and with a bit of experience, you just know there's going to be the crash. There's going to be either they've just haven't looked after themselves. So they've just been working themselves flat out. And then they have the crash and then they're at a lower place than when they first started the program. And I'm sure that's probably true uh, with the work you do. And I think the gentle approach is the more sustainable approach. Yeah. And also, you know, as humans, we're, we're cyclical in the sense that, you know, we live, particularly in, in, the, in, in England where we live, we have seasons, you know, and you can take the same person in, you know, the middle of January and the middle of June and they don't express the same way. They don't have the same kind of energy levels, you know, the daylight, the influence of, you know, how much at the moment we've got, you know, daylight till 10 o'clock at night. But in January, it's not that way. And you know, the, so throughout the seasons, and, and this is the other thing, the work that I do is very shaped around that. So we know when we're going to ride that spring wave and we can feel energy rising and we can take our signals from nature. You know, when the, when 
when nature bursts forth with new life, we're part of that. And so there, perhaps if we're feeling well and there's no reason why we can't, we can maybe push ourselves on a little bit more. But come the darker nights when the, the nights are drawing in and we need to, um, as one of my clients said really well, and it's always stayed with me, she said, Claire, I need nourishment, not punishment, you know? I like that. And yeah, it's that. So how can we, so through the wintertime months, how can we um, sustain and nourish ourselves so that when nature gives us those signals and we do have more spring in our step and more inspiration that comes from the inside, yeah, because Mm. we're signaled by nature. Okay, we've got a bit more energy available now. Okay, well, we can modify what we're doing. So actually, it's respecting the seasons and understanding that, you know, we're not separate. We're human beings living on a planet in the cosmos. And if we don't get that, and we try to overlay an exercise regime which is absent of the respect of nature and that we are one and all the same as nature then it's it's quite short-sighted and it's actually a little bit naive you know we we must respect those seasons and and train our body in accordance with them so with the work you do are there any sort of core guiding principles yeah they're there are and and um the the ideal thing really with i think any method um is that it is what i would describe as archetypal and and by that what i mean is it's although we can apply it personally to individuals it actually applies universally across the board you know so what i've look to do is just to distill the key foundations or the principles of the movement analyst method which is the method that i've um that i've kind of cultivated um to three key principles so the first one the the primary principle is that we live in a gravitational field and When I first say that to people, perhaps if they haven't really considered that before, often there's a little bit of surprise, you know, why why are you talking to me about gravity? Well, you know, if you understand that gravity is a force of nature and it's consistent and it provides a consistent environment, then you can actually start to use that as a resource so you can train your body in accordance with this environment. It's very much like fish in water. You know, fish belong in water. It's the environment they know. And if you take a fish out of water, you soon find out that it's not very uh, suited to other environments generally. So, you know, gravity is pressing each one of us down to the center of the earth. It's pulling, it's a gravitational pull to the center of the earth. And it provides a relentless downspring. That's all gravity does. And our body knows this at a very prime, primal level. Our evolutionary development has gone on with this understanding. So our the second, so the first thing is gravity, and the second key principle is our is our bones. So we have 206 beautiful bones in our body, all shaped and ordered in such a way that they express this innate relationship with gravity and 
the third key thing in the in the principle is surfaces so right now um, I know the the listeners can't see us but we're both sitting in chairs in one way or another and so our body has come into surf uh, contact with surfaces so that might be the floor it could be a chair could be a wall could be a bed anything doesn't matter anything that you can touch through your skin we can think of as a surface and so with those three ingredients gravity our bones and surfaces what we can start to do is really bring those ingredients to life and start to learn key movement skills um, that can either um, improve things like our alignment and posture, maybe our flexibility, maybe our strength, maybe our ability to relax. You know, we can use those in an infinite really number of ways. But when we come back to these three kints, principles at the core of everything we can always rely we will always have gravity we will always have our bones and we will always have surfaces and and knowing that just makes such a difference it's it's almost like the acorn that then grows the oak tree yeah um it's it's the kind of central principles and you mentioned about sort of the evolution of the human species from primates and things like that. Are you in, do you look at the animal kingdom, particularly sort of chimpanzees, our closest probably genetic cousins for mm-hmm. inspiration of movement? Yeah. So part of the training that I've done is, is, is to look back through the timeline to see, you know, we have been many, um, many things before we came into these upright evolved walking on our back legs human so how did we arrive at this so there's that kind of evolutionary development which is very relevant to what uh to what we've now become but also what we can look at is the lifespan of us as an individual human so from the embryotic stage in this watery liquidy environment to birth and then those early developmental stages right the way through the timeline to the aging body so you know that in itself is a cycle and you know my clients laugh actually because I always teach them when I whenever I'm teaching them I'm teaching them or sharing movement it's in the now but I've always got kind of one eye on their 95 year old self Mm. and I always think if if somebody could sit with their 95 year old self and say what do you wish I'd have done what you know to enable you to be independent and relatively pain-free and you know these things are possible you know just because there's a, a, a large majority of the population who who do physically decline thanks mainly to gravity mm. um, and the compressive force of that on our body you know if you wish you know if you could sit with your 95 year old self and and ask that very wise um old man you know what do you wish you'd have done it's the things that I teach, which enables us to approach aging, the aging body very pragmatically and to anticipate the likely uh, pathways of degeneration and actually to create intervention. So the movement that I teach I always say to clients as well, it's a bit like movement superfood, you know, or, or an essential, a one drop. It's very potent. So we don't have to be training our body for hours on end, but with specific techniques and specific understandings, we can start to become much more aware of 
the kinds of movement patterns and behaviors which can create the decline and we can create intervention and change that change that story we can't stop ourselves necessarily getting ill or having injuries you know these life is unexpected so there's no guarantees but based upon what we can control um, there's a huge amount that can be done to improve the quality of our uh, maturing years and that is a massive passion of mine <laughs> I um yeah I get very excited about the idea of people you know improving their their future self yeah that that really does light me up a lot I, I love that and would you say there's sort of a public enemy number one to the work you do? Is there something that you see people do? Maybe you see them in the street or elsewhere and think if only they knew the damage they're doing to their future self. Is, is there any particular thing that you could identify with that? There's Well, there's a few things that, you know, at the end of the day, life is full of repetitive motions. You know, you get up in the morning and there are certain mundane routines that we all do and they're unavoidable. And so what we, you know, if we actually look at that and we notice the things we do most often and what, what is modern day life asking our physical bodies to do? What are we drawn to repeat? Then what we can do is to start to create almost like the antidote to that or balance that out with other things. So what does the body need that it's not getting day to day? So for instance, something very simple is most of the tasks we do in everyday life, our hands are out in front of us. So you think holding a steering wheel, knife and fork, pouring a cup of tea, typing, holding a phone. So often the, the chest part of our body is living behind the arms and the arms tend to go through quite limited ranges of motion the other thing is that our spine is wired neurologically to follow the movements of our eyes so when we look down we're signaling to our body that we're we're bending in one way or another we're going to bend or preparing to bend forwards and when we look up for instance we're signaling to our spine okay well we're going to extend or maybe even arch the the spine backwards and so if a lot of our tasks are desk bound and our hands are out in front of us and we're looking down the spine is going to get a lot of signals and our, our body is getting a lot of um, information based upon those movement patterns and our, our body is not um, our body is very efficient in the sense that it will produce what is requested of it and we know this because when you take um, young, really, or really fit uh, astronauts and you put them into a zero gravity environment, they come back if they haven't done their training and they do now um, in, in the weighted environment in the International Space Station. But in the early days of space exploration, the astronauts would come back and they would have the, you know, the bone profile of a, of a 95 year old and not mm. even be able to hold their own weight, you know, and, and they do need assistance when they come back to this gravitational environment because the, the bones have not had those signals. The bones have not been stressed in such a way that they actually produce the right kind of hormones to replenish bones. So we know our body is efficient in that it will only do what's requested of it. So every movement, every gesture you make is a request to your body and it's listening, it's recording, it's responding.
So, you know, and the other one basic thing is we sit a lot. We're in, you know, we're we're addicted to chairs, and chairs are not going to go anyway anytime soon. And the majority of people are never taught how to how to sit. So I say to my clients, you're not really sitting, you're standing on your pelvis. You're standing on the backs of your legs. They're your new foundations. Your feet become your secondary foundations. And we can sit in such a way, and these are the things I teach, that really enhances our health and our social interaction. But if you look at a room full of people sitting in a waiting room, most of them are on their phone. Most of them are looking down with a collapsed chest and they're rolling backwards into the back of the chair because that's what it entices us to do. I can feel myself moving now. I'm being analysed. <laughs> Even if I'm not, I, I'm getting all twitchy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you get the picture. It's, you know, yeah. these are, it's not sitting is not bad for us. No one posture is bad. Nothing, no posture is there to be dynamic and expressed. But if you're sitting that way for eight hours a day, your body is probably going to complain. It wasn't designed for that. So. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, have you seen a lot more of people with sort of aches and pains now with, with just coming out of the back of sort of the COVID crisis mm. uh, as we record this? But a lot of people have been working from home where their office mm. used to be at work, which was sort of ergonomically designed. And now, even now, I'm having to do this in. A spare bedroom on yeah. furniture that isn't designed for long-term sitting yeah and I, i've already i can feel that certainly my neck and my shoulders and back are tighter than they were are you seeing more of this at the moment because of this change in, in working practice most definitely yeah absolutely you know it's key things like um sitting that in a way that your your pelvis is further away from the ground than your knee so when we sit we want the thighs to slope slightly downwards from the pelvis to the knees because that makes it easier for us to actually stand up on our pelvis and you know the height of the desk in relationship and the screen and all of those things so a lot of people are sitting on laptops you know in environments where they're having to kind of almost curl around the laptop mm. to to do the job you know the bottom line is we are where we are you know it's not a perfect world and it probably never will be so again that in and of itself isn't really a, a a terrible issue as long as you know what to do to counteract that so a good thing to do is to make sure that you actually and this is where the understanding of gravity really helps you so when you're sitting around the laptop and you're curling forwards, gravity is pushing down on you and it's kind of compressing you down. But if you were to then go and lay on your back and open out your arms, gravity is still pushing down on you. But what it's doing is it's helping you to decompress through the front of the spine and to open out. So you can do something like roll up a blanket or a, or a towel that's long enough for your spine and just place a little pillow under your head and just lay and open out. and you know, 10 minutes every couple of hours even, you know. The other thing is get up, walk away from the screen and give your eyes something long distance to look at. So even if we look out of a window and we take in a wide peripheral view, the, the breathing diaphragm of the body changes its tone and it changes the way we breathe. When we're focusing on little, something like needle point or little points on a screen where we're really focusing on a small place, 
affects the breathing diaphragm, it affects the quality of our breath, which then affects the muscles of the neck and the shoulders, etc. So even getting up, going to a window or, or getting outdoors even, if you, if you can, but if you can't, just look out of a window and, and let your peripheral vision kind of replenish and look towards the horizon. So when we look at the horizon, really, that's kind of almost like recalibrating or resetting your eye line to something more neutral. Looking down is an action. So if being at a computer screen, think of that as an action. OK, how can I come back to neutrality? Just lifting the eyes, letting the head you know, float and feet grounded and, and just let yourself take in with a curiosity, you know, the skyline or the trees or whatever it is that you can see. These little things just make a huge difference. Even walking through a door frame, you know, and if you're tall enough, just taking hold of the door frame and just taking hold of the top and letting yourself just release and hang a little bit, you know, feel a little bit of sense of just giving your body something else with the arms lifted to do. And obviously only doing that if you haven't got injuries that would prevent you. But, you know, these are little tricks that you can just like, like lovely, um, seasoning just season your day with these little things and it makes a difference it allows you to continue to do your job or the things you need to do without that activity destroying your body you know which it can do and you touched upon breath there um how important mm. is sort of breathing technique to to your physical and mental well-being do you think Breath is very much like kind of what we might think of as posture. There are many different expressions of the breath and there's a, there's an appropriate way of breathing for every activity we do. And our breath is not the same all day long. But again, if we're very habitual and very sedentary, which is tends to be, you know, the, the, the kind of expression of modern day humans, we're more sedentary. We're more, using our mind and technology so often we are really not focusing on our breath at all i have seen over the last few years a real rise in the discomfort in neck and shoulders headaches and upper limbs so arms hands and fingers there's a lot of kind of physical symptoms that people i've noticed a rise in it um, in the years that I've been teaching as technology has kind of driven us more and more so you know I think it's a case of us again just respecting that you know technology is moving on at a rapid rate and what our body has got to catch up with that in evolutionary development it's a blink of an eye you know mm. and, and our body has not had time to adjust so how do we meet technology and all that it does for us with a respect for our physical body and this is why being in your body and having language and sensation to draw upon actually really serves you because it's like having coordinates. We've got landmarks. We understand. We know where things are and um, it gives people reference points. So if people want to find out more about your work, Claire, where would they go? Well, I, um, I have uh, a website. Um, which is called movementanalyst.com. And I'm on Instagram, um, and that is at movementanalyst. I've um, got to recommend Claire's videos. They are on Instagram. 
they are really mesmerizing you sort of <laughs> you move like a, a gazelle uh you know not, maybe a gazelle's the wrong the wrong word but it's just very the fluidity um of the movements is, is quite remarkable and i think cracky how does she do that well, now we know but um yeah it's uh yeah it's just for that alone it's worth following claire's instagram Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's funny how um, I get that comment quite a lot, actually. It's very mesmerizing or hypnotic almost mm. to watch because I think when I'm moving my body, I'm not thinking about performing exercises at all, you know, and some things might look a bit like an exercise in a way. But what I'm doing is I'm I'm kind of in the experience of moving. And so it, I think it has a different expression, a slightly different expression, a different quality than just exercise reps. And, um, you know, I've done all those in the past. I've done enough exercise reps in my life to, you know, I've got the T-shirt and it just doesn't excite me anymore to, to kind of approach movement from there. I think when we've been moving our body for a long time or training a long time, I think you, at some point, you get to know yourself through movement and then you drop into a deeper exploration of yourself. And I think that's what comes through in, in perhaps in the movement videos is, you know, the, the intention or the expression behind that. And actually I'm just playing, you know, I'm doing what I've always done. I, I had a natural desire to move my body when I was really little and that's never gone away. It just, you know, it's just been a, a natural place for me to go I find stillness in movement as well which is lovely um it's it's a really nice to feel that stillness in my mind through movement so and others do too as well when I'm when I'm teaching them well that's fast honestly yeah. it's honestly such a fast oh I think the audio just went a bit funny there uh, I think it's such a fascinating area and I'd certainly will definitely come and check out your work because i've got some issues in my shoulder and upper back and uh i want to be able to make hypnotic videos as well of me <laughs> I ro can ro ro rolling around in the garden um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> neighbors phoning up the uh, sort of lo local mental health hospital um but claire thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to, um, yeah, to interview me. And I know I did invite myself to come and be interviewed by you. So <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Did it it saves me a job. myself to the party. No, yeah. that's, that's fine. It saves me a job because actually when you're the first thing you do, obviously you reach out to all the people you'd like to speak to. And obviously some people can, some people can't, some people can only do it in six months time, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, I try to make this as broad in genre as possible. So it's just different each week in some way, shape or form, rather than sort of the Mark Chappell show. And it's really nice that you did that because it opened up the idea that actually it'd be quite nice if more people just said, hey, I've got something I want to share, um, a different idea on something, and they just step forward. So if, if anyone's listening to this and they think, oh, I quite like to come on and have a chat or sort of speak my truth, as it were, then please do get in touch and we, we can make this happen. It's, it's great. It's one of the greatest things, even after one episode, is the number of people who make contact. And you sometimes think you're broadcasting into the void yeah uh, and you think is this could this ever be worth it but even if one person finds something that's been said useful it's so worth it so and i, I found this fascinating personally and 
it's made me think about you know the way i sit the way i even just conduct myself on a daily basis physically so thank you very much claire oh it's my pleasure thank you for having me and i wish you a lot of luck with the rest of the podcast i know you've got a lot of guests lined up but i i would recommend that others who feel they've got something to share to um to get in contact because it's lovely isn't it to build a a kind of library of um yeah recordings of of different people's perspective and i think in one way or another we're all trying to make the world a bit of a better place in our own way so we've um i'm sure there's many other people out there who've got something interesting to to share with you so absolutely yeah. and and the gimmick i wanted to end all my shows on because you've got to have one is it's two questions really is one if there was one book you could recommend what would that be i think um mindful spontaneity by ruthie alon it's you can get a hold of it there's probably not a huge amount of copies so um have a little look on amazon i think you can so i was very very lucky to have been trained by ruthie alon in her bones for life movement intelligence work and it really was a turning point in my life for me um I was in a real phase of, um, I had extreme burnout when I met Ruthie and she really did turn my, my life around and my perception of how to be in my body. Um, and and um, I thank Ruthie every day and every day that I am teaching, I, I still, I kind of, I, I'm, I was inspired greatly by Ruthie. So it'd be Ruthie Alon's Mindful Spontaneity would be the book I would recommend. Lovely. And if there was one message you could share with all the world, what would that message be? Love the skin you're in, you know, just love the skin you're in. Um, your body is brilliant, whether you have come to really embody that belief or not. Um, the fact that you're here, you're unique, you're breathing, you're alive, just love the skin you're in. And, you know, don't ever let anybody else define you know your shape your size your color whatever you know we're we're here we've got this opportunity for life in this body and no matter what that looks like for you just love the skin you're in that's i'm so passionate about that message wonderful well claire we've got to go but thank you so much i'll put all the links to your website and your instagram in the show notes so people can find you and they can watch your videos your mesmeric videos <laughs> Thank you. I look hey. forward to seeing your. I look forward to seeing yours, Mark, up on your page soon. I'll keep an eye out for those. Yeah, um, I'm not sure the Instagram's <laughs> ready for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. I don't think they do X-rated videos. Um, <laughs> on that note on that bombshell (laughs) you've embarrassed yourself now more than me (laughs) yeah to be honest it's a common occurrence (laughs) thank you very much claire oh my pleasure thanks mark bye-bye